Uh, in the book of Galatians, in the opening two chapters, Paul powerfully establishes two critical facts. First of all, the absolute preeminent authority of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then secondly, Paul's authority as an apostolic minister of that gospel, specifically ordained to preach it to the Gentiles. Beginning with the final verses of chapter 2 through chapter 4, Paul explains the doctrine of justification by faith, defining and arguing it from several viewpoints. He concludes the book in chapter 5 and 6 with practical advice concerning the proper application of justification by faith in day-to-day -day life. In the daily reading Bible, in the daily Bible reading plan that I follow, Galatians chapter 1 is the New Testament reading for one day, and then the following day starts with chapter 2. And recently, when reading, uh, not just recently, but I, I journal things that the Holy Spirit seems to be wanting me to pay attention to when I do my daily Bible reading. And on the day that I read chapter 1, verse 24 didn't stand out to me. I didn't write any notes on it. Just, it, it didn't. But the next day, as I read the first sentence of chapter 2, I noted that that first sentence started with then. And so I thought, well, I should look back and refresh myself because a then isn't exactly like a therefore, but it still begs you to look back because it's following, obviously, something. And so I decided I should refresh myself to what the then was there for. And I just went one verse back and read Galatians 1.24. And they glorified God in me. And one day earlier, a sentence that hadn't seemed noteworthy to me, and now it really, it really gripped me as a compelling synopsis of what it means to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with others, both Christians and non-Christians alike. So that verse will be the keynote, if you will, the focus of my message tonight, I'll be bringing in a variety of other scriptures, a number of them from Galatians and a number of them from uh, other books as well. But, and they glorified God in me. Six simple words considered within the narrow context of Paul's statement in Galatians and in the broad context of the entire Bible, it is a verse packed with lessons on how we should live our lives today roughly 2,000 years after it was written. And they glorified God in me. If this is or becomes our humble, sincere goal and passion, God will use us mightily for his glory and others' good. No matter how wretched your past, no matter how wretched your present, today you can claim and own this as your purpose in life and God will delight in bringing it to pass. I guarantee it because God guarantees it. In 2 Corinthians 8, 9, Paul says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. In Psalm 84, 11, it says, 
For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. And in Psalm 59, verses 16 and 17, But I will sing of thy power. Yea, I will sing aloud of thy mercy in the morning. For thou hast been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. Unto thee, O my strength, will I sing. For God is my defense and the God of my mercy. Let's look briefly at three aspects of Paul's life and character that gave him confidence to assert, and they glorified God in me. First, strong relationships are forged face to face. Paul didn't have the internet, but he did write letters, including the letter to the Galatians that is part of the canon of scripture. His letters were his virtual presence, but he wrote them primarily as supplements to exhort, to rebuke, to build up the body of Christ at those times that he could not physically be with them. But he always strove to be present physically whenever possible. He sought to truly know and be known, and he understood that meant spending significant time face to face with people. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 12 to 14, Paul writes, Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. Ye know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. As I contemplated that a little bit, Paul's kind of acknowledging that that something has gone on that could have been injurious because you wouldn't normally say to someone, you haven't injured me unless there was something that had occurred, something that maybe someone either deemed was injurious or could have been injurious. So he's letting them know that whatever that was, that he's not taking offense over that, he's not taking injury over that, and then his statement, ye know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. So Paul had been there with them. The Galatians had come to know Paul through his preaching to them and his living among them. Reminds me a little bit of Morris Gleiser coming here when he was here for, was it four or five days? Came to the picnic, came to services. I know I felt a lot, a connection forming. It was just a per, it was more personal. And I think that's the way it was with Paul and most of his missionary journeys where he visited the churches and stayed with them for a time. It would have been that same type of a, a thing. He was with them personally. He was eating meals with them. He was, uh, if they had a church picnic, he probably went on the church picnic and building relationships and really getting to know them and they were getting to know him. Paul was busy. Each one of us is busy. But the simple fact is that people rarely care to pay life-changing attention to what you know until they know how much you care. They saw Paul as one of themselves because he came down to their level in all of his glorious weakness. They saw the infirmity of his flesh. And they saw that, excuse me, 
lost my place. And they saw how despite that infirmity, God worked powerfully in Paul and through Paul. We must ask ourselves, do I let people see only my good side? My strengths, but never my weaknesses? If so, they may respect me, but they will see themselves as different than me. And they will likely lose heart that they can have a relationship with Christ like mine. Throughout his letters, we see Paul's extreme love and compassion, both for fellow saints and for the lost. We must do likewise. The second thing that I noted about Paul's character, my second, that the second thing is be where you are, which means love those you are with. 1 John 4, 19 to 21. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. It is sadly far too easy for me to be in the presence of others and yet at the same time not be present with them. Especially people with whom I have little or no natural affinity. And I'm sure every one of us has had the experience, both probably at times, of us being present with someone or some group, but in reality being far away, not really being present with them. And I'm sure probably each one of us has had the experience of being with someone who was present with us and we could tell that they really weren't present with us. And it's likely, or I ask the question, how likely are we to be drawn to adopt the doctrines, the philosophies, the ways of life held by someone who not only does not love us, clearly wishes to be rid of us. My point being that, again, if people sense that you don't care about them, the normal thing is they're going to feel like you are thinking, at least, that you're above them, and they're not going to be inclined to listen. They're not going to be inclined, and if we're trying to witness through our lives, through how we touch people, it's really important that we see them as Christ sees them and that we love them as Christ loves them. Paul was genuine. He was authentic in his love for the brethren. In Galatians 4, verses 19 to 20, he says, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you, I desire to be present with you now. Those are extremely tender words. Uh, they don't come off as manly man words to me, but they are, of course, manly man words. Uh, anyone who knows Paul and knows his history and knows what he went through would not consider him less than a manly man. But my little children, 
of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Think of that heart, that he was literally in an internal agony seeking for Christ to be formed in these people that he loved, in this case, in the church of Galatia. I desire to be present with you now. So he's writing that letter, and his heart is with them. For Paul, the birthing of each child in his flocks was not a once and done, God bless you and keep you, matter. He had a pastor's heart as well as an evangelist's heart, and so he continued travailing to also birth holiness, what he calls the forming of Christ in each child after they've become born again. He didn't want forever infants. His goal was saved and sanctified. In 1 Corinthians 3, 12 and 14, Paul writes, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 24 to 31, Paul writes, and this is one where if you had any question of his manly, manliness, I think this list would persuade you otherwise. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches." Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is offended, and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. I just think of how Paul, he was, not only was he unashamed of the gospel of Christ, but he was unashamed to speak the truth. He was unashamed to acknowledge to people the depth of his love, and he could say it with sincerity, with full honesty before God and man. He could say, I lie not. The third thing that I uh, noted in, in Galatians, and again, uh, specifically focusing on the one verse, is that Paul was always one who promoted the welfare of others. He was a, a, one who lifted, especially, of course, fellow believers up. He wasn't one to tear down. Now, there were times he confronted when there was confrontation needed, but we also see 
that he then later said, okay, let's pull back, make sure we forgive, make sure we accept when there's been repentance. He wasn't harsh. But if you think about what was Paul before he was saved, he was living the life of a Pharisee with gusto, earning honor and adulation for his perceived holiness, and it was driven by a misguided perception that he was zealously serving God and preserving God's honor. Pharisee equals law and judgment. Paul was blinded by that. God equals grace, and he abounds in love and tender mercy for his erring children. And Paul, as a Pharisee, had completely missed that truth. But after the Lord Jesus Christ revealed himself and his true nature to Paul on the road to Damascus, Paul became more interested in training, promoting, and edifying others than in himself. And that list of the, the beatings and the shipwrecks and all these things which he endured gladly was for the sake of bringing the gospel to heathens, which as a Pharisee he wouldn't have cared a whit about and I'm sure would have thought was a wrong thing to do. In Galatians 6.10, Paul exhorts, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. In Philippians 2.4-7, Paul writes, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Paul's heart to elevate others in the Christian way is evidenced by his many disciples. Timothy. In Philippians 2, verses 19 to 22, Paul says of Timothy, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. And here's Paul telling the Philippians that I love you so much that I'm sending, you know, I can't send myself right now, but I'm sending the best I have. In a sense, just like God the Father sent his only son, Paul was telling the Philippians, Timothy is to me like a son to a father and I'm sending him to you. And there was Titus. In 2 Corinthians 8.23, Paul says, Whether any do inquire of Titus, he is my partner and fellow helper concerning you. And in the book of Titus, chapter 1, verse 4, Paul writes, To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith. And Paul poured his heart and soul into mentoring, into discipling. 
And that was, of course, just like his Lord Jesus Christ, who poured himself into his 12 apostles and into his close disciples. There was Barnabas in 1 Corinthians 9, 6. Paul writes, Or I only in Barnabas, have not we power to forbear working? There was Silas in Acts 15.40. We read that, And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. So this was Paul choosing who would go with him, and he chose faithful Silas. And then one that's close to my heart because um, I relate to him more personally, and that is uh, John Mark, who at one point left Paul when they were out on the mission field and caused a very sharp contention then when later it was suggested that he go out again with Paul and I didn't double check this. I believe it was Paul and Silas. If I see some head nods, I'll... No, no, I'm seeing a faithful friend saying, but anyway, I knew, no, there was a dispute going back out on the mission field and, and Paul parted. Was it Paul and Barnabas? There, I got the head nod. Paul and Barnabas, and Barnabas went one way with John Mark, and Paul went another way with Silas, actually, I believe. But I find it comforting, and I find it telling of Paul that he didn't hold it against him forever. Because here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, Paul writes, Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Paul discipled, and even if someone left him in the lurch at one point, he was willing to forgive, and he was willing to take them back on and willing to continue to be a yoke fellow with them. And there was Aquila and Priscilla. They were in the same trade, tent makers, as Paul, so he had that uh, natural connection with them. Uh, they ministered together. And in Romans 16, 3, Paul says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. So Paul was one who poured himself out for the churches. Paul was one who brought young men often in particular, but others, Aquila and Priscilla, a brother and sister in Christ, and he nurtured them. And they worked together for the Lord Jesus Christ. And in these different aspects of Paul's character, I see for us a picture. And this actually concludes my message, so I don't have a real long message for us tonight. But my prayer is that each of us will pursue and that the Lord Jesus Christ will grant increasing holiness and a heart for both the lost and those already in Christ that each of us may truly say, and they glorified God in me.